Well, if you were here last week, we began a brand new series, so you're, you're right in the right time. And uh, when I look through, I guess, my brain a little bit and my heart, and I just kind of try to plan what I'm doing, um, I really try my hardest to line up with what the Spirit of God's going to do in your life, what I believe that the Spirit of God's going to do. I don't just pick something out of a hat. And I thought, what do you want to do today and this season of our church and of our lives before we get to Easter? You know when Easter, how many of us know when Easter is? It's the end of this month. We're less than a month away. I cannot believe it. I wish it would be on the same, the last, the last Sunday of every April or something like that would be great. Wouldn't that be great? Um, then you can do that. But um, I, I love what we're talking about. It's, it's cult, cultivating faith. And I got this image in my mind of all of us being farmers. And for some of us, maybe you grew up as a farmer. I grew up in the city over in western Washington. And uh, we, we had some farmland, and it slowly disappeared over my lifetime. Um, then houses started to come in and that kind of thing. But I remember blueberry fields. And I know enough about killing plants that you have to do certain things. You have to, you, our, our, grass, our ground up at my place is not that good. There's a bunch of rocks and it's a hard clay. Um, we get a lot of moisture, um, but I know you got to take some tools and you got to dig around and you got to cultivate the ground. You have to turn over dirt and you have to get old roots and weeds out and you got to pull out rocks and you got to clear out all that stuff. And then you can make the ground more fertile make miracle grow or whatever the case. I don't know. I have no idea. When I need a vegetable, I go to the store, and then I look at the vegetable, and then I give it to Lydia. She eats it. Um, but as you can tell from me that I'm a health nut, right? How many of us would say Joel's, Pastor Joel's a health nut? I'm not as heavy as I've been, but when Lydia first met me, I was only 150 pounds or whatever. Um, I, she said I was too thin. But as you can see, I only eat vegetables and fruit. No, that's, you know, I'm not, now I'm making that up. I'm just teasing. But I do have ice cream that has fruit in it. So it is actually, and it has lemon or it has raspberry or it has whatever, but it has a lot of sugar. I get you. No, I actually, think about it. Why do I even say that? Because what if all I had to do was believe that eating vegetables and fruit was good for me and that made my body really healthy? I would be the healthiest person in this room, right? If I knew it, because I know, first of all, if it's green, it's good for you. If it's kind of orange, carrot, it's good for you, okay? If it tastes like dirt and earth, it's probably good for you. My thing, my first question before, when I worship God in heaven, I say, why didn't you make fruit and vegetables and all that kind of stuff taste like ice cream? Why didn't you make it in the consistency of ice cream? Why wouldn't that? But what if all I had to do was believe the fact that it's good for me was enough to make it healthy? You know what? I have to, at some point, when it comes to this illustration of me being a health nut or not health nut, I have to not only believe something to be true, because I know, I have a knowledge in my mind, because everybody tells me it, hey, vegetables are healthy for you. Why don't you have a nice green salad? But don't, don't mess it up with all this stuff that you put on it nuts and cheese and chop up chicken nuggets. Don't judge me. It's good. Trust me. Then you put a bunch of dressing on it and you ruin it. But um, I have to at some point acknowledge that it's not enough just to believe that to be true. I have to live it out. At some point, I need to take that. 
tub of ice cream I got in my freezer, God forbid it, but I would have to throw it away or eat the rest of it really quick, then throw it away. And then I'd have to get some vegetables and actually start eating it. I'd have to change my diet. I would have to start running again, right? I have to start working out. I work for Pepsi throughout the week, so I do kind of get a workout, but I don't sit there and work on my abs, okay? But you can't just believe something to be true and that be enough. You have to live it out. You have to, I'm going to call it applying it to your life. You have to have application because another word for believing is to know something to be true. Knowledge. How many of us have a knowledge of something that you've never lived out or you don't live out? You know, I know I need to be a forgiving person. Why do I know that? Because God forgave me. Because I can't read anywhere in the Bible where Jesus doesn't say, forgive those people. I can't, for, but then I go and turn around and someone treats me like garbage. And my temptation almost every time is to go, no, I'm going to treat them like garbage. Or I'm going to ignore them. Like that's what Jesus would want us to do. The reality is just believing in knowledge and having the knowledge of something to be true is not enough. It's a good starting point. I can't just say, Pastor Joel, I don't call myself Pastor Joel, but my wife does when I'm in trouble. But you need to be more forgiving. And I can write out a note card, and I put it on the fridge. And every time I open that fridge to get some vegetables, I, you see what I did there? I would read that thing, be more forgiving. Okay, perfect, I am. But if I have a relationship that I have been very poor at managing the relationship, then what's the point of having that note card there? Knowledge is good. Believing is good. It's a starting point, but it's not it. Believing something to be true and the knowledge of something to be true is not enough. If that was the case, I would be eating, I would actually be very, very healthy right now. When it, I would have vegetables flowing through my system even if I would even touch the vegetable because knowledge about it would be true would just soak into my system. But I know that to not to be true. I have to actually take the carrot, dip it in a lot of like something, and then put it in my, in, in my mouth and eat it. But the reality is for a lot of things, we know something to be true. We believe it to be true. But somewhere there's a disconnect between the knowledge and the the uh, believing and the actual doing and the application, okay? Actually, Jesus, he doesn't want us just to believe something to be true. He actually uses, there's a word that I want to put on the screen here, and it's the word application. Everybody say application. I'm going to say something at the very end of this sermon that's going to make, it's going to really understand because the power is in, in anything in your life is in the application, Okay? If I say, Lord, I read the Bible and it says to, you know, for, you know, pray for those who persecute you and love your enemies. And my flesh says, there is no way I could do that. The application is, you know what, I need to find that individual that I have been very poor at and, and, and responded poorly. And I need to let it go and forgive them. I may have to go to a cemetery because they may no longer be alive. And I may need to let it go and, he, and allow God to heal me of that bitterness in my life. And you're going to find healing in a lot of part, areas of life. But you have, that's the application. That's the application. You can't just believe something to be true. You can't just have this truth written down in a doctrinal statement and say, this is what I believe. Because that's, that's not enough. 
Like to believe that God exists, to me, and I, and I can't speak from uh, people that I know that might be atheists, but for me personally, it takes a little bit more faith to believe that, to believe that there is no God, that I'm here just floating on an accident. That takes a lot of faith than to believe that this designed universe is, actually has a designer because it's order. Okay, there's some things in this world that's out of order. I get it, okay? But there is still some order to this earth, and there has to be a person to set that, to actually put it into order. Okay, you can't just throw things. I can't just throw a can of paint against the wall, and all of a sudden the whole wall's painted. I have to take and apply it to the walls, right? There's the application. Does that make sense so far? Okay. Now, Jesus' agenda, I want you to remember, we said this last week, and if you have to go on YouTube, I do record these. And hi, everyone. Um, and you can go back to last week. But I did say that his number one agenda for you is to have a big faith, to have unshakable faith, that when the storms come in your life, you will still be standing strong throughout that storm. There was a windstorm the other day, and I'm actually we're driving through it from Lewiston. All these leaves and twigs and wood, they were flying right in front of us. I'm like, holding on for dear life, and I don't like that at all. My, the car was kind of going like that. And, um, but in our lives, Jesus promises there's going to be some storms. There's going to be turbulence. There's going to be floods. There's going to be flood water. That the only person that will stand strong is someone who plans ahead and actually builds their house on a rock. We'll talk about that in a minute. But Jesus didn't invite his followers just to believe a bunch of stuff. And that was it. Just believe what I say, and that's it. Okay, and we, as a church, usually as churches... We usually do say, here, believe a bunch of doctrine, which doctrine is important. You've got to watch your doctrine closely. That's right out of the Bible. So you have to be careful what you're believing. When you go to a church and you hear the pastor preach, you have to be like the Bereans in the New Testament and who are studying and going, what you said is not exactly true. You got, you're, that's our responsibility. But it's not, that's a starting point. That's a springboard. You have to do something with what you believe. Jesus, actually, his invitation was, follow me. Say, everybody say, follow me. That's an important thing. Follow me, Jesus said. He didn't just say, just believe in me. He didn't just say that. That's a starting point. Of course, I'm going to believe that God exists. Of course, I'm going to believe that Jesus is the, the only way, that he is the way to the Father. There's no one that comes to God through him. But I have to, at some point, go, it's not just about saying, I acknowledge you, God. I acknowledge you. You're there. Hi. How you doing, God? At some point, I have to make it about me going, Lord, help me with this. I want to live this out. Everything that you say in the word of God, I'm going to live it out, even if it's hard, especially if it's hard. And that means we have to solely rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to actually accomplish what we're doing. Now, a couple of things we said last week, if you weren't here, this will catch us up. But God is honored but um, actually, a lot of people say, believe in me. I don't know why that's not in my notes again. But believe in me. But it's not even about believing. Remember, I could believe that ice cream is bad for me. I shouldn't eat it. How many of us like ice cream? Just be honest. Maybe I don't want to be a judge. I just want to, this is like, this is like therapy. It makes you feel good. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, but I could say, until I'm blue in the face, I know that ice cream, if I eat that entire tub of ice cream, it is not going to do good in my body. I know that. But then I look at the ice cream and I'm going, the best thing to do right now is to throw it away. My body will thank me. My spirit will hate me. But anyway, but, I'll, but then I rip it open and I start just 
eating that thing. And if she tries to steal it, gelato, if it's gelato, I'm going to fight her for it. You better believe it, right? It's not about believing in something. Now, the, the, the one thing I wanted to say was that, that God is most honored by our living, active, death-defying, in spite of the things I'm dealing with kind of trust in him. There's two words I want you to think, uh, three words, faith, trust, and there's a third word that we don't often use with God, but confidence. Confidence. Do we trust him? What's, what's a trust? I said this last week, but you trusted in your chair this morning. You, you, uh, you, you put your faith in the chair. You actually had a confidence that when you sat down, it wasn't going to collapse. Okay? I have never, I don't think in the, when someone gave us these chairs 10 years ago or whatever, um, I don't think I've had one person br- sit down and break the chair, which is a good thing, by the way. But no one has sit there and go, we need to have a little weight test on here. Here, Dwayne, can you sit here right first before and jump on it first and then I'll sit on it? We just, we actually have a confidence that that's not going to fail me. Despite maybe in my life there was a chair that broke somewhere, which that happened one time when I was in seventh grade, but I won't get into that. Um, when I was in school, that was very embarrassing. But we do the same thing. What is, God is most honored by our living active, death-defying in spite of confidence in him trust in him. And that's, I ended the sermon by asking a question, which this question radically shakes me. It really does, because my goal is not to make you feel guilty. It's to allow the spirit to speak to you a little bit, and me. And it would be, what would I do? And maybe, maybe I would add a word to this question this week. What would I do differently if I was 100% confident that God was with me? Where would I, what, if, I went, if I was to speak to someone about the Lord and I knew that Jesus was with me, 100% confident that he was going to work through me no matter what I did, if I acted like, if I sound like an idiot while I was telling them about Jesus, or if someone, if I went to someone that has a, some, they have a beef with me a little bit, they, I need to forgive them, they need to forgive me, we have some relational conflict. And if I had 100% confidence that God was with me, how would I treat that individual different? What would I say different? This, this question radically shakes me because I can say that I believe in God. I trust in his word. I know his word. I, this, is, this is like his, we say manual for a living or the basic, basic instructions before leaving earth, whatever. You can call it that. But this is the word of God, and this is, this is how we know who God is. This is like how we know what, God, what the plan of God is for our life. I don't deviate from this in my life. I shouldn't, I should say. This is the word of God. And, and um, I could say to him, I'm blue in the face, I want to read that thing, but if I don't actually live it out, is it, and I'm saying this for me, maybe not for you, is it because I don't have 100% confidence in God that he uses people, weak people like me, to change people's lives around, around me? That's why sometimes I'm afraid to tell people about Christ, because what if I sound like a fool? What if they look at me and they say, uh, or I, I, I feel like the Lord is telling me to pray for someone and they're not even struggling in that area. Like I just, then I'm just kind of froze. I'm stuck. So we need to have a little bit more confidence in God. And that's really what this series is about. How in the world do we cultivate a faith so that we're confident in God? God has shown himself faithful to us time and time again. But there are often there are believers such as myself sometimes where we are tiptoeing around faith. God wants to have big faith. 
He wants us to have faith that, is, that goes beyond any kind of reasoning. You have no reason to trust God in that situation. There's a storm. You're walking through a storm. You can see the storm right in front of you, and God is saying, go through that storm. I'm walking with you through that storm, and you're going, this does not make sense, but I'm going to trust in you because I'm confident you're with me. Or if you're not confident, you go, nah, I'm going around. I'm waiting the storm out. I don't need to enter that storm. I'm just waiting for it out. See, if we actually were confident that God was with us 100%, we wouldn't just believe that God exists and leave it at that. We would actually follow Jesus. We would live out the gospel every single day. So here we are. Here we are. God wants us to have an unshakable faith. He wants us to have a confidence in him that will change our lives and the lives of people around us. So here's the question as we're going through the series up to Easter, the Resurrection Sunday. What are the ways that help cultivate our faith to become an unshakable faith? Listen to me. I got, there's two ways to think about faith. First of all, Jesus is the author of our faith, period. He's the one that begins it. He starts that process. But we have the responsibility to cultivate, to do whatever it takes to help grow that faith, to make our heart more fertile, Okay? There are times where we have to dig through our hearts and our lives and remove all that, that crud, all that old dirt, all those boulders that are blocking like the blessing and, and God speaking to us. Get rid of all that stuff, and that's cultivating, that's digging. You've got to get beneath the surface, and you need to see, how is my heart? Is it fertile? Is it ready to grow? Or is it rock hard, and I have nothing? there's no way that I can grow in my faith? And this is what the series is about. What are the ways that help cultivate our faith? So it becomes an unshakable faith. Well, the first one, it's not revolutionary, but this is the beginning. And it's the word, the, the phrase, Bible application. Okay? No one is really going to be excited about that one because you're like, oh, I try. I know, I try too. But it's the difference between doing what God says for us to do and simply just reading a page and going, oh, that's some good advice, Jesus. Because I'm, in my life over the last almost 30 years being a Christian, I have said, Lord, I love your word. Help me to read it more. Help me to fall in love with you. Help me to, when I read the word of God, I get excited about reading the word of God. Because there are times in my past where I have not been really super excited about reading the, the word of God. Did I say that out loud? I know all you guys get, you run to the Bible and you open it. Let's go, let's go, let's go, right? That's not me. <laughs> Did I wake you up? <laughs> let's go. No, it's, Lord, help me to dig into the Word of God, but not just say, oh, well, that's some great stuff. But when I read, like, I'll give you the, the example I thought about all week was the forgiveness thing. I read it in the Scripture. I mean, it's like a big flashing light going on and say, be loving, be kind, Love your, love your enemies, really. Because I'm sure everybody just loves you. But, you know, believe it or not, there's people that, that they don't like me. That's fine. Believe it or not, I'm such a likable person. I'm just not their flavor of ice cream, I guess. Whatever. They like vanilla and I'm lemon bar or whatever I have in there. It's kind of weird. But they don't, they, I'm not, they just, they don't like me and that's fine. But how in the world do I need to go, I can't stand that person. I hope, that, I hope they have uh, bunions on their feet and I hope they don't heal. You know? I hope that they're, they, they put dirty socks on or something like that. But, or 
Lord, I pray for blessing over them. Now, which one does my flesh want to do? Don't be so, don't be so upfront about how you would answer that. Think about it. My flesh wants to do what's wrong. You're like, no, they treat him like garbage. What would the word of God say? Pray for them. Pray for blessing over them. Help them. Try as much as up to me to try to reconcile that relationship. As much as is up to me, the word of God says. I'm going to do my part, but that takes, that takes effort. That takes a changed heart. That takes application. That takes living it out. That's a different type of life than just going, oh, forgive those. Okay, that sounds good. Close the Bible. And then I go, I don't like that person. That person can just skedaddle away. See, that, that's, I don't want to be too mean about it, but that's how a lot of Christians live. And not just about that. My goal, and I think, and I know God's goal is that we would live more like Jesus every single day. Now, that's impossible by yourself. You need, you need to have the Holy Spirit breathing life into you every single day. This is a day in, day out type of process. You can't just do it on your own. I'm just going to be a different person today than I was yesterday. That's fine. Who's going to help you do it? Because if it was up to you only, you would have already done it. Right? I would have already done it. I would have already looked like Jesus and smelled like Jesus and done, spoke like Jesus if it was up to me only. It's saying, Lord, I want to do this, but help me in this. Give me the life to do this because I can't do it on my own. See, where does Bible application begin? Well, you have to obviously be in the Bible. Open up the Word of God. Get a translation that, that speaks to you that, that um, when you read it, you go, wow, I like how it says that. There are some times where I get sick of the same translation. Some, there's some Bible teachers out there that say, no, stick in the same translation. And I get what they're saying, okay? They give you like one or two different things, and you say, don't deviate from that. I get it, okay? Not all translations are equal. I'll give them that, okay? But there are times in my life where I, I was very much not wanting to get in the Word of God. And, and um, I started reading the New Living Translation, which some, there will be some pastors that would disagree with that. It's fine. Um, but when I started reading the New Living Translation, for me, this might not be for you. Maybe the New King James would be great. Uh, maybe the NIV, maybe the Christian Standard Bible, maybe the, uh, maybe the King James. Get, it, it, actually, when I went to the New Living Translation for the first time, it spoke to me in a way I went, wow. I, it's, saying, in a way, it's saying the same thing, but I just I resonate with how it's saying it. I love it. You have to be really in, in tune with the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Okay, and um, then you have to f- apply it to your life. You have to live it out. When you, this is a good exercise. When you open the Bible and you read something that really sticks out that you're not living out, write it down. You know, write it down. If it says the, uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and then I get to patience. My kids, he'll be 18 in September, so he's, he's up there. But when he was a little baby, I had patience until he was born. I did. I was really good at being patient. And then I got married. Let's, let's rewind that for a second. Then I got married. Then, I had a, then we had a kid. And I realized that when they're, you're trying to sleep, and I worked at the mill at the time, and I'm sleeping. I have like 20 minutes left. And I hear, wah, wah. I'm like, <sighs> start shaking. I'm starting to twitch right now. You know, it's like, those, he's a great sleeper now. Um, we have to sometimes wake him up. No, we don't. But, um, but that's, you know, 
when I get to the, the word patient, I need to write that down. I say, Lord, this is a dangerous prayer, by the way. Lord, get me to a place where I have to exercise patience today. See, faith is like an exercise. It's like muscle you have to exercise. If you don't use it, you don't apply it, you don't find yourself in a situation where you have to use faith or wherever you're struggling where you need the application, if you don't live it out, it atrophies. In other words, I, remember, I used to be a runner. Used to be. The last time we went running... We were at the track, and I, 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 I know I said this before, but I think I ran like four laps a mile, and I was limping for a year, or almost a year after that. Not that extreme, maybe a month, but I was sitting there going, I mean, it's, it's sad. I, used to, I ran mini marathons, not a big marathon, a mini marathon. I mean, 7.2 miles or whatever. That's a mini marathon. That's long to me. But anyone else want to run seven miles? That's from here to Kuski, basically. A little bit more than that, but a little less than that, but whatever. Um, that's a long run. But if you don't exercise it, if you don't put yourself in a situation where you have to use it, like for me, it would be I need to live out that patience. Lord, put me in a situation where I need that patience. Guess what you're going to find yourself in the very first time? You're going to find yourself in a situation where you're going to be impatient. God has a sense of humor, and he has a tendency to order your footsteps. And then you have to do it or not do it. Exercise that, those muscles. Exercise that, that application. Apply it. Apply the gospel. Apply the a word of God. That's the only way that it can do it. Now, Matthew chapter 7, like where's the Bible at? If you're talking about Bible application, here we go. Okay? Matthew chapter 7, because Jesus, he has the greatest sermon of all time. It's the Sermon on the Mount. It's a very good Top, a good sermon title. You know, Sermon on the Mount. He was on the mountaintops preaching. Very important. But Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, greatest sermon of all time. You can build an entire society on it. You can do all sorts of different stuff. And then he says, not literally, but he, at the end of his sermon, he would say, amen, let's go to potluck. He would say that. But before he said go to potluck, he said the most important thing about the entire teaching, and it was outside his sermon, okay, because he didn't just say, here's a bunch of words that I said. Now memorize it. Because memorization, Bible memorization, it's good. It's important. It'll pop up in your brain when you need it. It's not just, just believe it. He says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, anyone who listens to my teaching and, pause. I want you to read this like you've never read it before. Don't cheat. If you're listening to Jesus' sermon and he actually goes, um, he says, hey, guys, guys, okay, now that we're done with the sermon, the, the potluck's in a minute, I want to say a few words to you. Anyone who listens to this sermon, anyone who listens to my teaching, anyone who opens up and cracks open the Bible and reads what I said, and how would you finish that? Anyone listens to my teaching and, and believe them? That's not what he said, even though believing it is good. It might say, if Jesus says something, I go, I believe that to be true. Of course that's important. Did he say, anyone who listens to my teaching and agree with them? That's important. That's not what he said. Or, you know, write it down. This will be good for you later. He maybe said that to the tax collector, Matthew, or Levi, slash Matthew. Hey, Matthew, write this down. Wink, wink. You'll need it for later. But the rest of them, he, he didn't say that. He didn't say write it down. What he said, for the other part, that anyone who listens to my teaching and what? follows it. 
I even put down a few words here. Applies it, lives it out, obeys it, does what it says. This ain't rocket science. I'm looking at it going, looking at this and going, I know that. This is one of those verses I know. But then I get to a place where I'm going, this is a place, this is an area that I'm weak on and I'm not living it out as much as I need to, as God's calling me to. I need to apply, I need to exercise that, that in my life. I need to live that out. I need to get to myself in a place. I'll give you an example. As a pastor, and even as a Christian, forget the pastor part, as a Christian, my number one goal is to tell people about Christ, that they're lost and dying going to hell without Christ, that there's hope in Christ, that you, that you have hope and God, God gives you fulfillment. God give, it's, it's, to me, I would never want to go back to being non-Christian, okay? The, I, I've had to sacrifice a lot, but I've gained a lot more than that in my life. I have. And um, that's my goal. But you know what happens when I get to a place where I can actually tell people about Christ? All of a sudden, Pastor Joel can't speak. That's impossible, by the way, it seems like, in my life. All I do is speak. That's what, I, that's what I'm told. But all of a sudden, if I say, if I tell them the gospel, if I just, in a way, tell them about Jesus, I can't quite say it. Why is that? Because of fear. Now, how do I exercise that? God, get me to a place and order my footsteps in a way that I get to a place that I'm walking to. to there, there's a person that comes into my life that I know needs you right now. It's an emergency. They need to hear the gospel right now. They're hopeless. Guess what he's going to do? He's going to bring those people to you. Because the Bible says he orders our footsteps. Either that's true or it's not. I believe it to be true. Anyone who listens to my teaching and they follow it, they practice it, they apply it, they live it out. Look at the rest of that, the whole thing in context. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is what? Wise. Does Jesus, think about if you've ever read the Bible, would God rather have you be wise or foolish? Wise. He, he, you, can read, you can read the entire book of Proverbs, which I love, by the way. There's one for every uh, day of the month except for February, but we're done with that. Um, the, the, you know, he would say that the best thing that you could do is to be wise. Wise wisdom is like knowing what to do and actually doing it. Being foolish is going, I know what to do, but I'm not going to do it. That's foolishness. But anyone who listens to my teaching is, and follows it is wise like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Why would you build a house on solid rock? First of all, they, did, they didn't have foundations like we do. We dig and we put the foundation. We put rock on the foundation. We, we build the foundation. Back then, they didn't do that. They had to find land that had solid rock and put the house on it. If they dug down deep and it was sand, they would never build it on there. Why? Because they're planning ahead. They're planning for some kind of catastrophe to fall. They're trying to plan for something to happen later that either if you put your house on that sand, it's going to push the sand away. And even if you're in bed, you're laying down, all of a sudden the house is being washed down, then what? Your house is destroyed and you're probably no longer alive. So you have to prepare yourselves ahead for a storm that's coming up. In this example, he's saying, he's using an example about a home. But what he's really saying is those who are, who are living their life as they ought to, they're living their life. It's like a person who follows his teaching, they're wise, and they're like a person who actually builds their house on solid rock. See, 
This will be hard work, though. To live it out is hard. To be apathetic about it and say, Lord, I just, just do everything for me. That's fine. Because he is the author of your, of your um, salvation. He's the author of your faith. He is. But you've got to exercise that muscle. You've got to live it out. And it's the only life worth living. Look, I, I've lived both ways. I've lived half-hearted in, over the last 30 years. There's times where I lived, lived where I was like, ah, eh, whatever, I don't need to do that. And there are times where I said, you know what, Lord? No. Today, I'm going to live for you. Help me, Lord, to live for you. And you know what? The, th- the fact is, uh, <laughs> the fact is, that's a good. Is that, that's a good one. The fact is, I can tell you the truth about this. When I said I was obedient to God, my life was extremely, extremely more fulfilling than the other way. I always had to look around my back and my shoulder to see who's watching me, or I had to feel a little guilty, like why? Why is everybody else falling in love with Jesus, but I feel like I'm my love for God is just kind of waning. Well, the reason why is because I didn't say, God, help me through this. I want to follow your teaching. Look at, Jesus is saying, something's coming in your life. How do you want to be at the end of that storm? He goes like this. He uses in verse 25. He goes, though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters will rise and the winds beat against the house, what's the house represent? Your life. It will not collapse because it's built on bedrock. I love that. Your life doesn't have to be destroyed by circumstances, as hard as that is to believe, because sometimes things happen to me, and I am in the, at the best, I'm like in the worst mood. Like if I have things happen to me, I'm like, ah, not again. But it doesn't have to destroy my heart. I don't have to walk away. Remember we just had a series uh, before this series about doubt. Faith and doubt, okay? And I don't have to get to a place where I'm walking away from God because of the things in my life, the storm, the floodwaters, the winds, the torrents, all that kind of stuff. It doesn't have to collapse. How many of us want your life to collapse every storm that happens? Of course not. But you have to prepare ahead to get to a place that when the storm shows up, how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond to those storms? Verse 26 and 27, he talks about a different group of people. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't live it out, doesn't obey it, they're foolish. Don't be, trust me, when it comes to God, you do not want him calling you foolish. That means you're an outsider. That means you're outside the faith. That means you're outside the family. Don't be foolish. Like a person who builds their house on sand, why would you do that? Because if you build your house on the sand, if you build your life on the, uh, uh, if you build your life on something that's not Jesus, the storms will show up and it will go. You'll be gone. Or if not, if you're still, you'll be limping the rest of your life, going, "Oh, I'm just barely getting through this. I love the Lord, but I hate this life. Oh, it's horrible. Like how horrible is that?" But it says, "When the rain and floods come, not if, when, and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash." I don't want my life to crash with a mighty crash or collapse with a mighty crash. I don't want my life like that. I want to stand stronger after the storm 
And Jesus, he says, the only way you do that, obedience. Obedience. You got to start in the Word of God. You got to obviously be praying. You got to worship God. You know, go to our small group on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock. Uh, men's group, women's group, but all that kind of stuff. And do all the stuff that God is calling you to do, but if the only way that you can truly not collapse is to live it out. It's to live it out. Now, there's a couple verses I want to read and then we'll be done. But James chapter 1. I love this. I'm going to read it in a different translation. That I, I don't think I've ever read from the Amplified Bible. And, and, and the Amplified Bible just kind of helps you, gives you some words to kind of process and go, oh, okay. And it gives, it gives you some context. They're not, the words themselves are not in the scripture, but um, I like how it says this. James chapter 1, verse 22. But prove yourselves doers. Everybody say doer. Prove yourselves doers of the word, actively and continually obeying God's precepts, and not merely listeners. So there's a difference between listening and doing. If I, I'm married, if, if I just listen to my wife and go, uh-huh, 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 yep, 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 she knows when I'm not really listening, trust me, right? If I just go, yep, okay, yep, mm, yep, yep. I do that, yeah, yep, 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 and she goes, stop. She knows that I'm not really listening, right? The difference is when she says something and I actually do that, what she's saying, man, that does all the difference. Trust me. She could be really happy in my life when I actually do what I'm supposed to do as a husband. Not just listen to her. Who hear the word of God but fail to internalize its meaning, deluding yourselves by unsound reasoning contrary to, to the truth. So, but, but James, I believe in Jesus. James would say, yeah, me too. He was my brother. I believe that he existed too. Trust me, I saw him. He goes, that's fine. Believe in him. Trust me. Just believe, believe in him. Yes, that's a good place to be. It's better than going, I don't really believe in God anymore. Say, yes, I believe in you. He says, if you really believe it, do it. See, there's an old, I don't even know, it was in the very old days, that it, it, even in the biblical days, that if you didn't live out what you were taught, you didn't really believe it. Because if you believe something to be true, you would live it out, you would walk it out, okay? If I truly believed it was important to love people, I would do it. But the question remains, if I don't love people, do I actually believe it's important? Do I believe it's vital? Do I believe that God's calling me to it? Really, if I don't live it out, he says, all this, don't be just a doer. Don't be just a listener. No, be a doer. Be a doer. Verse 25, but he, and women too, okay, all of us, but he who looks carefully into the perfect law, the law of liberty and freedom, and faithfully abides by it, not having become a careless listener, uh-huh, uh, yep, yep, mm, mm, yep, yep, yep. I was, I'm a careless listener sometimes when my wife speaks, and I hate that. I try not to, but it's usually when I'm distracted. Something else is going on, okay? Huh? Yep, mm -hmm. that's a careless listener, okay? Who forgets but an active doer who obeys. And those people who actually obey God, he will be what? Blessed? and favored by God in what he does in this life of obedience. I want to be blessed, and I want to be favored by God. Call me, call me crazy, and call me selfish. I want to be blessed, 
and I want to be favored by God, period. How do you do that? By not just not believing, living it out. Now, as we close in prayer, I want you to think about that. Maybe you don't have this, but in your home, some of us have an unopened can of paint just sitting there in a closet. How many of us have an unopened can of paint somewhere in your garage? And that was supposed to be a project that you're going to do. We have unopened paint in this church too. Maybe someone got rid of it, I don't know. But You buy the paint, you set it down somewhere, and you plan at some point, I'm going to paint this room or this wall or whatever. And then things happen, you forget about it, and you don't really worry about it, but you still have that can of paint just sitting there looking at it going, ooh, I forgot about that project. See, the paint looks beautiful. It's a beautiful paint. It's a nice gloss. It's perfect. But you know, that's not, the power is not in the can of paint. And the power is not just opening the can of paint and going, oh, I love the smell of paint. The, 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 the power is not stirring the paint, which that's important. You need to stir it. You need to open the can. You need to get that stir stick and you need to stir it. You need to mix it and make sure it's, it's mixed good. The power in that paint is the application. That's it. It's important to open it, the can of paint. It's important to stir it around a little bit. It's important to get in. But the most important thing when it comes to paint, when it comes to this, is application. And what does that mean? Here it is. I'm going to be done. Application is simply going, God, this is what I've been trying to do in my life. God, help me identify something I'm weak in that I'm not living out right now. And if it helps, write it down. Journal it. I don't know. And then say, Lord, get me to a, put me in a situation where I have to exercise that. And I guarantee you he will put you in position. Guarantee you. It's like buying a car and you buy a white car. You're going to find a white car every time. You'll find the same model and same make. All I do is see white Toyotas. That's all I find. I say, that's my car. And don't go in the wrong car, trust me. But what you start, when you, say, when you say something, you will notice it all the time. This is a natural thing, but also God, he will also provide you in a way that will dro- he'll drop the right person at the right time where you need to exercise it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to live this out. And just like that can of paint that just sits there in the closet all these years, we know that the power of that paint is not in just sitting there looking pretty and stirring it and even opening the can, but it's to apply it to a wall. And that's where the power really lies. But, Lord, I pray that we would live out the gospel every single day. When you speak, Lord, we will do. As hard as it seems, God, we know through the power of your spirit all things are possible. We cannot live this by ourselves. We cannot do it on our own. So we'll confess that, and we ask that you would help us. Help us to cultivate this faith. Help us to grow this faith. Help us to get to a place we have unshakable faith. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. There's food. I bet you can smell some barbecue sauce. Please stay if you can, even if you didn't bring food.